Hey guys, hope you are doing well. I, I'm trying to start this a little differently today just because it is a sensitive topic. Um, so just a little, like, warning, content warning. Today we are talking about the Me Too movement, and for those of you who don't know, it is the topic of violence against women. So if this is a, a sensitive topic for you, maybe don't listen to this episode, or maybe listen to somebody who makes you feel safe. Um, I, I talked to Dr. Boaz Johnson, Raj Kumar Boaz Johnson. He is a professor at North Park, uh, North Park University in Chicago, where I uh, met him. And he wrote a book not too long ago, a few years ago, called The Marys of the Bible. And the subtitle is The Original Me Too Movement. So, Dr. Boas, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Young and Sanctified. Well, you're so, so welcome, Justin. I remember you as uh, my student in classes there and your desire to learn and to, uh, and to uh, translate that learning into practice, mm-hmm. um, especially with the Salvation Army. And uh, I want to thank you for what you're doing and thank you for inviting me onto this podcast. Yeah, no, thank you. Your class has changed me. I loved, I think I sent you an email not too long ago. I loved how you would present all this great information, amazing information. Then you turn around to the class and just say, what do you think? And it would just stump everybody. You know, we'd be like, well, what do we think? (laughs) Um, And I I hope that we can learn so much from you today, too. I'm really excited to talk about your book that you wrote not too long ago, The Marys of the Bible, the original Me Too movement. Mm. I'm I'm a little nervous, too, because, you know, it it is a, a sensitive topic and we recognize i'm sure both of us recognize that um but before we dive in could you share a little bit about who you are i I mean you're still at north park university um i am okay but you can share a little bit of how'd you become a north park university professor well it's a long journey i um um you know let me try to connect that with uh my own life journey, which begins uh, on an, uh, in a slum in New Delhi. Uh, and I saw a lot of pain uh, that was endured by boys and girls because mm. these are low caste, outcast people, my friends. And, you know, girls, as soon as they got their first um, um, monthly cycles, were taken into um, slavery boys were taken to slavery. And and so I began thinking about how does one come up with solutions? Uh, And um, um, eventually I was introduced to this Jesus who met Marys, who met women who suffered. And and they were the ones who stuck with him uh, when he was on the cross, not his disciples. Uh, And then I was teaching a class uh, in um, in India, and one of my students, whose name is Bindulata Barik, she wrote uh, a foreword to my book. Uh, she was sharing her story, and I said to her, well, Bindu, um, I-, I want to write something that will respond to your questions. So that's been my quest, right, through teaching in India, then coming to the United States, uh, 
I, I did my PhD work in ancient Near Eastern religions, uh, ancient Near Eastern societies. And, and I, as I read these documents in Ugaritic and in hieroglyphics and um, in, um, uh, you know, in other ancient Near Eastern languages, I came to realize that what I saw in the slums of Delhi and what I've seen in the streets of Chicago um, was happening then. Mm. And, um, and, um, and, and then there is this Bible that engages with those issues. And I wanted to um, talk about it. I talk about it in my classes at North Park University, where I have been now for the last 19 years and um, talk about it in other places. And mm. uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity to write this book. I do want to say that uh, Whip and Stock has approached me to write a sequel, um, which will be um, uh, the working title is More Marys of the Bible. Very creative. Huh? Mm. <laughs> More Marys of the Bible in the context of pandemics. Mm. So that would be... Um, uh, that's the next one I'm working on. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing a little bit. Yeah, I, I remember a little bit and uh, just your history is so rich. And so I appreciate um, the context and the perspective that you bring to this conversation, especially in your book. Uh, yeah, those four words were just very touching. And so I'm glad you included mm -hmm. those. Um, so are. let's, yeah, yeah, they are. They're, they're touching and hard. Um, in your introduction, I just, I just love how you write because some people make us dig for the, the thesis. You just say it very clearly. My thesis is the Bible is the original Me Too movement. Just there, there's no um, trying to find it. It's right there. Uh, but, but I'm curious first, uh, what is the Me Too movement to you as, as you understand it? And, and um, you've been talking to people for a while now in different countries too, not just in the American context. So what is the Me Too movement? And how did you generally, I know that you wrote a whole book on this, but how did you come to that conclusion of this is the original Me Too movement? Um, when I've read um, and heard women and girls in, uh, in the slums of New Delhi where I was, or when I went to, uh, to the Kakuma refugee camp in Kenya, um, the voices of the women um, are voices of a lot of pain and people mm -hmm. don't want to hear those voices of pain. They want to shush those down. Uh, they want to somehow pretend that their cries are, uh, are cries that um, uh, don't need to be heard because obviously the whole world is... Um, uh, you know, a place where um, where modernity has brought about solutions and mm -hmm. economics and in, in in social thought and, and so on and so forth. But but when I when I hear those cries, it seems to me that those cries need to be heard very carefully. And the reason I'm saying that is because that's what God has done right through the Bible. As I read through the Bible, mm. you know, there was. Um, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and it says God heard the cries of the suffering people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm. It was the cries of people, women, girls, boys, 
that were suffering that God wanted to hear. Um, the same word, za'ak, is the word that is used uh, in Exodus, where God heard the cries of his people. And as he revealed himself to Moses, he says, I've heard their cries, I've seen their suffering, and I've come down to deliver them because I know in the deepest way their cries. So the Me Too movement is a movement that has been around for a long, long time. Yes, in modernity, it has become uh, you know, something that's been used with a hashtag, mm-hmm. with Twitter and all that. But it seems to me that that Twitter was there and has been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And that is what the Bible addresses as it hears the cries of those tweets that have come to us from from hundreds of hundreds of years ago. Hmm. And was there any like particular Bible story that really sparked this journey for you and coming to this conclusion? Um, I think two very important books that come to my mind is a book in which my own name is found, which, by the way, is my middle name. You know, I've got a longer Indian Mm -hmm. name. Um, um, It's the Book of Ruth. And the other story that um, kind of grabbed my attention was uh, Jesus's interaction with two women. One is the woman at the well Mm -hmm. in John chapter four, where Jesus was willing to listen to her cries. And and so often, you know, it is interpreted Mm -hmm. that she lived a bad life. Look at her. She was sleeping around with five men. That is not what it is. She was abused by the people Mm -hmm. and her own people, because those who are abused, abuse others who are more vulnerable. And Jesus heard her cries. Hmm. Jesus heard the cries of the other woman in John chapter 8, which, of course, there's this controversy. Should John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11 be in that place or not? And it obviously is this central thing that has caused a lot of question. And it seems to me that that was the central message of John's gospel where Jesus is reaching out to that woman who's being accused, where's the guy? Mm. The Pharisees brought the woman. She was caught in the act of adultery. Well, where's the guy? Mm -hmm. And and Jesus reaches out to her and says to her that your sins that have been perpetrated against you, that you have been a part of, are forgiven, go and sin no more. Mm. And Jesus realizes the reality of the situation and then offers forgiveness. That seems to be what Jesus has done with so many people, and they're all called Marys. Mm. What could you, what is, yeah, how do, what does Mary mean? When I remember you saying this in class and in the book as well, and it blew my mind. Mary and Miriam, can you share a little bit of what that means? Well, the word Mary comes from um, the Hebrew word Mara, um, which means uh, bitterness. It means suffering. Mm. Uh, and Naomi says that mm-hmm. in, in, in Ruth chapter one, when, when everyone says, oh, Naomi's here, Naomi's here, which means someone who has lived a very nice, pleasant 
you know, uh, life with a four car garage, garage and, <laughs> and um, uh, you know, multiple bedrooms and all that. Mm-hmm. Well, she says, no, no, don't call me pleasant one. That may be the name that my parents gave to me, but really my life has been Mara. It's been suffering. And she says that because she knows what her daughters-in-law went through. Mm. Her own sons, uh, in in English, it says something like in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 4, 5, it says that, you know, her sons married Moabite women. But that's a specific word in, in Hebrew. It's not married. The word is nasa, uh, which is a word that is uh, a religious term in in Sumerian and Canaanite literature. Mm. It's a religious term that's used for women who are put into a state of of sexual um, um, to be a sexual priestess, if you will, mm. uh, similar to what you have in in um, in the in the in the cult in in Japan um, or or in India, mm. you have the Devadasi cult where women are put in a position to be married to the god like Baal, and uh, their job was to be ritual um, um, uh, priestesses and Mm. prostitutes, if you will. That's what they did with these two women in the book of of Ruth. Mm -hmm. And then they died. But they did that for 10 years. And it seems to me that Naomi would have wept bitterly with these young women, Mm. knowing what her sons were, were doing. Um, to these two women. And she says, my life is is Mara. My mm-hmm. life is Mara. Um, don't call me Naomi. Mm-hmm. Um, but the book of Ruth then goes on to show how this young woman, whose name is Ruth, who's experienced so much bitterness, is transformed very mm-hmm. powerfully. So that's the rest of the story of Ruth and Ruth chapter two, Ruth chapter three, mm-hmm. Ruth chapter four. Um, sh- there is this amazing transformation that happens. The rebuilding of a woman whose life ha- was made bitter by society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was well. Yeah, that was one of my questions about that that interesting word nasa because, um, I, as you remember, I reached out to you about a paper I wrote about Ruth, because I got a, a grade bark that lower because I suggested that that word Nasa has a religious connotation to it. And the other the other word for Mary, I, I, I can't forget, remember, it's like Lamech or L.A. I can't remember, but there's a, a traditional word, Hebrew word that is for, or for you know, to wed, to get well, married. Married. Yeah, that's the word that's used for Boaz then. Right. Uh, it is not a violent word. It's a word that describes someone who's accepting another person into his life. And this person becomes one mm. with that person. Right. Uh, and that's a very powerful 
um, ceremony that goes on in, in Jewish culture even today. And it's a ceremony mm-hmm. that is, uh, that is uh, it's almost like the communion service mm-hmm. where there's a, with the cup of wine that they drink together. And then there is the matzah that they share with each other, the unleavened bread. Mm-hmm. And, and as they break that, they become one. Um, oh, that's beautiful. Uh, because they understand each other's pains, and they vow to uh, to uh, become a part of each other's cup of sorrow, if you will. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I, well, I didn't know that. I just I knew it was different from Nasag. Because um, in my own, I'm, I'm nowhere near you, but in my own studies, I found the word nasa being used in well marriage right or concubinage or whatever you say that but nine times only nine times is it used and it's all negative um you know in judges 21 where where the uh benjamites yeah. right i can't the remember benjamin yes right they they steal women they nasa women it's in ruth and second chronicles um and ezra uh, ezra and nehemiah so it, um, so when we talk about, so like, let's say, uh, a youth group is reading through the Bible, right. And they get to Ruth. Should we have this real honest dialogue about, um, this word Nasa and what this implies and why, um, Naomi would be uh, bitter or, you know, one that is suffering. Should we have like real dialogue or should we like water it down and say, you know, like bad things happened or how should we approach this in, in all the verses? Because in your whole book, you go through um, really the, gene- the genealogy of Jesus, which I loved. Um, but yeah, should we talk? How, do sh- how should we approach these kind of conversations with uh, youth groups? I think one of the sad reality, Justin, is that um, we are living in an age where um, Unfortunately, our young people go through a lot of pain Mm. um, and uh, abuse within family is quite common. Mm -hmm. Abuse on college campuses is unfortunately really there. Um, So when youth pastors are told that, you know, your responsibility is to just have this fun time with young people, is to be this happy, jumpy youth pastor, Mm -hmm. having fun and games with young people. I think there's a place for that. I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, minimize that. Mm -hmm. But I I think it's so important for youth pastors to call a spade a spade and have these discussions because the Bible has these discussions. Mm -hmm. You know, these things would not have been there in the Bible if this wasn't an issue in ancient society and in modern society. I think Mm -hmm. there's a place for us to have discussions and call a spade a spade because in doing that is healing. Hmm. You go deep down into that hurt and you encounter the transformation that Jesus alone can bring you. That's when healing happens. But if you shove things under the rug, Mm -hmm. then, you know, that pain 
is there for a long, long time till one is able to go deep down into that space and see the utter horror of that pain and that darkness mm. and then emerge into the light because you have dealt with those. And, and, and in youth ministry, I think we should make room for that. We should be sensitive. We should be very sensitive because we got to realize that these are young people. And so one needs to be wise in how one does that and do it like Jesus. Look mm -hmm. at what he did. Mm -hmm. He spent time with that woman at the well, just one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. because he knew that she needed that one-on-one -on -one time to, to experience healing. And then look at the miracle that happens. My goodness. She goes to the very same place where she mm -hmm. was accused. And she talks about this Messiah who set her free. That is what is needed in youth ministry, I think. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. You know, I, I, I've been at um, a few different locations in youth ministry. My first one was in the, the south side of Chicago, um, in Englewood specifically. And there was a lot of abuse and, but there, there was a, there, because there's a, a general suspicion of religious institutions, you know, they would kind of tell me, but they wouldn't tell me specifics because they didn't want to be considered a snitch. Um, but now I I'm in Oak Creek, Wisconsin right now, and it's a predominantly white church and it's just different. And I think there's a, uh, an almost like a, an expectation to keep their kids innocent you know, like don't expose them to these things already, but I'm with you. I think they are being exposed, whether um, through horrific events themselves or uh, through pornography, right. Or pornographic materials, or even like movies that show violent sex scenes. Um, I do think they're being exposed to the material with or without their parents in sight. You know, does that make you, would you agree? Sure. I agree. And I think it is, um, it is um, rather unfortunate, and it's a, it's quite a thorough misunderstanding of society to think that our young people are completely protected. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the people who do evil stuff are people who target young people whose families think they are protect, protected. Mm. And that is considered to be a vulnerable thing. Mm. These evil people who take people into um, uh, sexual slavery, they have almost like a grocery list. As they go into the malls, into the great wall of uh, Mall of America in, in Minneapolis and mm -hmm. onto Michigan wow. Avenue, they know who to target and they also target our young people who have not been exposed to those kinds of uh, evil things. And um, we, need to, uh, we need to make our young people know that there are evil people like that. We need to give them the tools to, to how to get rid of those people, how to make sure that they will not get into this dragnet. So mm. it's important for us, uh, especially in youth ministry, to make our young people aware uh, so that they are protected. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 
Amen. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation. So I do see that we're going to run out of time soon. So I wanted to know, and I didn't prep you for this. You can totally say no. Um, would you uh, pray a little blessing over the listeners as they try to have these hard conversations with young people? I will. I'll be very happy to do that. And uh, Justin, I know you've been in my classes, so I'm going to pray and and perhaps recite a blessing in, in Hebrew, the language of Jesus mm. from the book of Numbers. Mm-hmm. Our Lord, our God, I thank you for this hard conversation that Justin and I have just had. I thank you, Lord, for his ministry. And I thank you for the ministry of youth pastors Mm. all over the world who are dealing with new forms of hard situations that our young people are facing. And especially, Lord, when we think about um, uh, of abuse of kids, when we think about abuse uh, within uh, the confines of friends and family, when we think about um, the abuse that um, these traffickers uh, bring about and their evil plans, there's so many things, oh Lord, Hmm. that youth pastors need to engage with. So I pray for your hand of protection upon youth pastors, upon pastors, your hand of protection upon our young people, so that you would equip our young people to stand strong Mm. and know your hand of protection. So I pray this blessing upon you, Justin, upon youth pastors, upon pastors and upon families. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May the Lord lift up his face upon you. May he give you his protection Mm. and his peace. And in Hebrew, these words are, Yavarechecha Adonai v'yismerecha Ya'er Adonai parmalecha v'chonecha Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'semlecha shalom Amen. And may his protection be upon all. Amen. Well, hey, thank you so much for listening. I hope you are encouraged, informed, and maybe even you feel a little bit more seen. I hope so. But hey, if you need to, like, go for a walk or pet your animal or call a friend to just decompress, do it. I know I had to. It was difficult. Next month, I will talk to two wonderful women who are both teaching in seminaries and wrote a book about multicultural youth ministry. And so I hope you check it out. And hey, if you like this podcast, please, 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 please leave a good review. You know, it goes a long way. Just a simple review and send it to a friend. All right, guys, I'll see you next month.